inspiring you to reach your goals and live your dream. And live your dream. This is the Keaton Nelson Show. All righty. Today's guest grew up as a hopeless adolescent, depressed, addicted to drugs and alcohol. At the age of 23, he faced a life prison sentence. Holy shit. Uh, today, he's living his dream life as a family man, life coach, best-selling author, and keynote speakers. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to welcome today's guest, Sean Michael Crane. Thanks for being on the show, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, bro. Um, so I'd love for myself and the viewers to get to know you a little bit. Like, let's say, even back when you were a kid, uh, where are you from originally? How was growing up? Um, you know, how was the household like? Mom and dad still together? What was, what was it like growing up, man? So I grew up in Santa Barbara, California, which is about an hour and a half north of Los Angeles. Really awesome place to grow up as a kid. Um, beach community. You know, we were like five or 10 minutes from the beach. So I was always down there. Grew up uh, learning how to surf, playing with friends in the neighborhood. I played all three sports every year in elementary school, football, then basketball, then baseball. And that was my world. I love sports and I love to just be out and, and having fun. Um, I had a lot of cousins that I grew up in the same area with. So between my cousins and the neighborhood kids, we always had football games going on, uh, hide and seek tag. It was just a fun childhood. But around age 10, you know, I, I started seeing that my life was different than theirs. Uh, my parents both battled addiction and there was a lot of conflict at home. I saw some things as a kid that were really traumatizing for me. Thank God my uncle Mike, who was my dad's oldest brother, lived with us from as early as I could remember. And he was like our protector. He was the one that made sure we were safe when mom and dad were intoxicated or fighting or the cops came or something happened. He was always there to, to keep us safe and out of harm's way. And if it wasn't for him, man, my life would have been a lot tougher. Um, so I was able to deal with those struggles early on because I had his love and support and still somewhat hold on to like the, um, the nature of a kid, like still have a childhood. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like you still got to do all those, you know, kids friendly things and uh, go play tag manhunt and, play all the sports and all that type of stuff it's interesting like you don't know that your life's kind of different than everyone else until you, you get a little bit older as a kid um if things are going down for sure um now how old were you you were 23 years old young as could be facing a life sentence man what yeah. what happened how did that how did you get there yeah that was crazy uh so you know when i started going through those tough times at home um by the age of 14, my household just broke apart. My dad got arrested and went to prison. And my mom slowly just stopped coming home. She abandoned us. She was strung out on drugs and alcohol. So my uncle, Mike, took Damn. care of us. Yeah. And so in high school, I really just lost myself. You know, I didn't play any sports. Stopped hanging out with the kids and my cousins who I'd grown up with. Found a new group of friends who were getting in trouble, who I could identify with a little more because they came from similar backgrounds as I right. did. And I started abusing drugs and alcohol to numb out that pain I felt. You know, I remember most days feeling really hopeless and really depressed because of what had happened in my life. And I learned that when I drank or smoked or when I took a handful of pills, I was able to manage that pain a little better. So this is what I did from 14 until 23 is I just kind of coasted through life numb and checked out. And I managed to graduate from high school and get a diploma 
despite not doing really anything. Right. And after school, I had no direction. I had nothing going for me. So I decided to work for one of my uncle's companies, a different uncle who ran a tree service. So I was working the nine to five, making a little money, feeling a little better about myself because I was doing something productive, but I still had no real ambition or vision for who I wanted to become or where I wanted to go in life. And so then I, I was going to parties and chasing girls and doing that stuff that you do at a young age. Right. And it led me to being at a party one night where a fight broke out. I'm like an idiot. I was involved in, in the mix. I was right there when it, when it was taking place, trying to see what was happening, being way too close to the uh, three or four individuals who were fighting. And I actually got tackled by a group of the, the guys and slammed into a car and dropped to the ground. So in the midst of this, I'm wrestling around with people trying to defend myself. And it ends up that one of the guys who I was wrestling with, who was on top of me, was bleeding all over me because he had been stabbed. So when I got up, literally, this is something out of a movie, like this, the play-by-play in this seems surreal. Yeah. But I get up and I threw a couple punches towards him as I was standing to my feet because I thought I was getting jumped and I thought he was attacking me. And he didn't get up. He just stayed face down, which I thought was weird. And then everyone started running away and I ran because I was scared. There was a fight that I was just involved with. And um, once I got up the street under the, the street light, I saw that I was covered in blood and I knew something really bad had happened. And so my friend and I, who we went to the party together, we fled and went back to his house. And the next day I Googled it. I, I Googled um, fight on the Mesa, which is where the party was at. The Mesa's mm-hmm. in Santa Barbara on the, the coast. And it said two men were stabbed. One's critically injured. He's in a coma and they don't think he's going to survive. And, and they ended up coming and finding me that day and arresting me and charging me with attempted murder because everyone at the party came out once the initial attack was over and they saw me wrestling with this guy and getting up, throwing those punches and then mm-hmm. running away. And it was dark. Everyone was drunk. And who knows if the police kind of tweaked the, the police report a little bit to make me look more like the suspect, but it definitely was written up horribly um, and painted me as the assailant. So they arrested me and charged me with attempted murder. And at 23, I was checked into the county jail, charged with attempted murder, facing a maximum penalty of life in prison. Dang. So let me get this straight. You're chilling at a party. A couple of like, was it even your friends that were fighting or like people there you was knew? Two groups of guys. One group I had never seen before in my life. Yeah. The other group, I, I knew their names. I knew them through other um, friends, but I never spent any time with them. I never hung out with them at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, And then and so, they start fighting, these two groups of guys. You just happen to be there. And then someone tackles you. Yeah, so they got in an argument pretty much right when we got to the party. And everyone noticed it, you know, and then it kind of died down. So there was a little tension between them the whole night. And then as people are drinking more, right. you know, they're more intoxicated. Um, we ended up walking out of the front door. My friend who I went to the party with and I, we were going somewhere else. And those guys were leaving too. And as we left, we all left together because we had been talking that night. We didn't know anyone else at the party. Um, that, that other group followed us out. So now we're face to face on the front lawn. And uh, that's when they just started fighting. Shit. And then you get tackled and you're like, what the hell? Trying to get up. The guy who tackled you, you punched him in the face, right? Or you punched him as you got up. That's right. And then yeah, so I, got, I got like tackled from the side. You know, I'm like yep. looking at everything happening. Let's say you and I have our eyes locked. Yeah. Now the corner of my eye, just I like feel movement. I see something. And as I turn, I'm just getting tackled and I'm pushed back about five or 10 feet into a car. 
and I got slammed into the car. So I'm like mm-hmm. holding on to this person and then slammed to the ground. So I'm like getting jerked all around, slammed. I thought it was a group of guys jumping me. That's what I thought. I'm like, damn, out of all the people, they just wanted to jump me. Like, what's yeah, going right. on? So I had this guy on top of me and I, I was trying to roll over and get up and get the heck out of there. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get him off of me. Like my hands are locked like this. And I'm rolling back and forth. And then finally, after three or four attempts, I rolled him over. And all of a sudden, I, I could easily roll him over, almost like his strength gave out, like he wasn't trying anymore. Yeah. Um, and as I stood up, I threw two punches in his direction that didn't even hit him. They like grazed oh, okay. off the side of his head. So when he stayed face down, I, I thought immediately, huh, like that was weird. I didn't even hit him, you know, mm-hmm. and he stayed face down. And yep. that's when I ran. And that's when I got to the street lamp and saw and you, that I was you're the dude with blood all over your shirt yeah. and running away. And <laughs> yeah, that's like talking about uh, wrong place, wrong time, man. It was like the worst, man, because yeah. everyone at the party saw me wrestling with him and throwing punches yeah. at him. So in the police report, they used the word striking. Like, even though I threw a punch and it was clear I had no weapon in my hand, they all said he was striking. So it could have been um interpreted as oh he was striking down with a weapon then they found the, the blood soaked shirt because what happened is i ran to the street light when my friend was yelling my name yeah. and then he ran up the street like let's get out of here you know he was all panicked and shocked after what he just saw i couldn't run i had to limp i my back and leg were so jarred in that crash mm-hmm. into the car i could not run i had a pinched nerve or something was going on so it took me it felt like whatever like in those movies or a dream where things are slow motion you know right. and you're like and the sirens are coming and, and, you know, you hear the cop cars coming. And as we got up the street, he was waving me into this doorway. And as I walked into there, literally three or four cops drove right by me on the street with their sirens on going to the party. And as we got into this doorway, it was a laundromat. And he's like, you can't walk around like that. You're covered in blood. Take that shirt off. And he had found an old shirt in the dryer in this laundromat. And he threw it at me and it fit. I don't remember what it looked like, but I put it on. Yeah. And then we left. He had called a cab about 30 minutes prior because we were leaving the party. Mm-hmm. And down the street, like, you know, 50 yards is this cab waiting for us. So it was almost like a, a getaway. It seemed like it was a, a flawless getaway at this point. You know, the cab's there. We jump in, we leave. Right. Um, and then so when they arrested me, they found the bloody shirt. My friend ended up showing them where the bloody shirt was. He cooperated with them because he was scared. Even though he knew I was innocent, he just wanted to distance himself from me. So it was one of those things where, you know, you're heartbroken. Your childhood friend from kindergarten ends up basically saying that you did it without saying that. He shows them your bloody shirt. He says that, you know, you were involved in the fight, all these things. So now they had, you know, eyewitness testimony, um, they had my friend pointing the finger at me and they had evidence, which was the bloody shirt. Yeah. So those, those things they're you know, they painted a really grim picture of, of my involvement in that, that fight. Dang. Then you, I mean, you obviously got locked up. So you got, you know, found guilty. Was it a life sentence? Was it like 25 to like, how long were you actually in jail for? in prison so for six, six months i was going back and forth to court fighting my case mm-hmm. and um they they offered me a plea deal at one point because um they didn't want to take it to trial you know even though they had a lot of evidence and for whatever reason they offered me a plea deal they said if you um plead guilty to assault with a deadly weapon yeah. we'll lower your your charge from attempted murder to assault with a deadly weapon 
and you'll do seven years in prison. And at this point, you know, facing a life sentence, um, really scared, thinking that I'm going to go away for decades of my life. I made the choice that I was going to admit guilty to something I didn't do so that I could get out. And I ended up doing five and a half years out of that seven years in prison. Got off on like good behavior or something, or I don't know how that works at parole. Or... So they automatically give you a little time off. You know, this, the way the sentencing in California works for a violent crime, you do 85% oh, okay. of your, your time. So that was six years. And then I ended up getting six months off for um, good behavior. I got some associate's degrees. I got college degrees while I was incarcerated. Oh, nice. They gave me six months off my sentence because of that. It's cool. So now you're out here. You, you're a life coach. You've got uh, a best-selling book. You, you're out there doing keynotes and stuff. And, and you're partnering it up with uh, Travis Ritchie with this convicted mindset thing. How, I mean – how does someone who goes from, you know, a life sentence in five and a half years in prison to coming out being this huge success, what do you attribute it to? <laughs> wow. You know, <clears throat> um, you know, small daily actions aligned to a, a better vision and outcome than before. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one thing. I went through such a massive transformation in my time of incarceration. But the first step was really getting clear on who I was as an individual. You know, like the person that ended up in jail was not the person I wanted to be in life. That was somebody that by default I had, um, you know, almost become like a character mm -hmm. that I played to protect myself. And sitting in that cell with all that time to think early on, seeing what I had done or not done in my life absolutely devastated me. You know, I had this overwhelming sense of guilt and shame for not doing more with my life. And at 23, thinking it was all over, it was devastating it was so horrible because i yeah, thought that my, my life was done and i hadn't done anything i was proud of and it was in that moment man something changed in me you know something changed in, inside of me forever where i went from being a victim of life and making excuses and holding back to saying i'm i'm just all in in every single moment i don't care if i'm in jail for the rest of my life i don't care where i go or what i'm doing i'm going to be my best self i'm going to be the person i know i am I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to give my all to everything I do. I was just fired up, man. Like I had to fight for my life and it sparked this massive desire inside of me that I never had before. Mm. A lot of it probably had to do with being sober too. I was numb for 10 years and I'll never forget when I was getting sober in county jail, suddenly I had these emotions and feelings that had been suppressed and not just bad ones, but desire, passion, like this yearning to live life that I lacked for, for a long time. So is that in combination with thinking my life was over? that sparked something inside of me that is unrelenting. It was knowing how quick life can be taken from you and that feeling at the end when right. you look back on what you just did and how you lived. And then um, it was just that sobriety and just like the clarity I was getting um, through sobriety. So that's where my transformation started. And from that moment, I made every day count. I haven't missed a day or a moment since where I wasn't focused on doing something to move me forward in life or improve the quality of my life. So then it was just small daily um, actions that built me up, built up my confidence. Built what were those actions while you're in the, while you're in the cell? So my cell was so small, man. It was like, your wait, it was like half the room you're in right now. You know, it was yeah, like a yeah. closet. So imagine living in a closet with a toilet and another person. It's not very appealing. Most people are like, what could you actually do in there to change? The first step was changing my mindset, changing my identity. I was going through that identity shift because I was, like I said, so saddened by what, I had looked back on the next step was 
training my mind to, to be positive and grateful, even in the most dire of circumstances. Like if I could be grateful and happy in a jail cell, I could be grateful and happy anywhere. And I, I realized that. So I looked at it as a challenge and I started training my mind every day to recognize the good versus all the bad. And this was simple things like, hey, you're alive today. You have eyes to see colors. You're breathing. You know, you, you have legs. You have a, a body that works. You're not dead. You're not um, paralyzed. You know, I would just like literally just like whatever self-talk yeah. I can have. Uh, your family's out there. They love you. They're writing you letters. You're going to get a second chance, like believing that, you know, this was happening for a reason and it could benefit me and just always training my mind every day to think this way. And that led me to finding things that I could do that were productive. Like if I was just sitting there feeling bad about my situation and thinking the worst, I wouldn't have got up and done anything. I would have curled up in a ball, tried to find drugs, tried to do what I used to do to cope and stayed stuck, you know? So yeah. I started just working out every day and I, I would read books and write letters back home. And that was all I could do. I worked out every day like a beast, man. You know, like it was my last day with arms and legs. I would leave it all out there. And I felt good doing that. I had an endorphin rush. I felt proud of myself. Right. Uh, every day I was getting stronger. My conditioning was getting better. Um, the drugs were like being filtered out of my system and I was starting right. to become a machine, you know, but then I found out, you know, I came across a big hurdle or a big challenge. And that was, I believed that I lacked intellect. You know, I started reading and I started writing letters back home. My penmanship was horrible. I misspelled every word. When I would read, I, I, I'd read pretty slow, you know, um, Growing up, I was a smart kid. I was a gifted kid, man. I was talented. I was athletic. Um, but somewhere along the way, I stopped applying myself at school. So I always believed that I was really good in social settings. I could make friends easily. I was athletic. I believed in you know myself when it came to athletics. But in school, I stopped trying. So guess what? You know, uh, my, my brain wasn't working properly, and I was putting all these drugs in my system. Yeah. So. At Your identity time, changed to someone who was smart to you, you, who then you view yourself now as someone who's, who's not smart, doesn't have the intellect. Yeah. You do that over time. The belief turns into reality, whether it's yeah. a good one or a bad one, you know? So exactly. Now, so now I you're had retraining to, your brain now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know? so what I started doing is I had a little pocket dictionary and I would just look up words in that dictionary as I wrote letters back home. Cause I, I wanted to like, I, I just got to this point where I thought, okay, everything that I do has to be done to the best of my ability. Right. I told you about that, that shift that took place in me. So every push up, every squat, every workout, like every single thing I did, and I didn't have a lot within my control, but the stuff I did have control over, I did a hundred percent to the best of my ability. So all my letters, I started focusing on writing them perfectly with great penmanship, every letter spelled correctly. Um, and then when I was reading books, I would come across new words I didn't know the definition of, and I'd keep a list and I'd quiz myself on them and memorize them. Then I'd use them back in my letters. I'm like, okay, I'm going to show people back at home that I, I can change, that I am smart. And yeah. it was just this challenge that I took upon myself. So in a very short period of time, I felt my mind come alive, my memory, my speed of thought, uh, you know, a lot of things were improving for me. I was memorizing all these new words. People were commenting back saying my letters look way better and asking me, <laughs> You know, what are you doing in there, man? You going to do you have GD or education in there? Your letters look a lot better. And it was cool to, to hear that. Right. Because I, I proved to myself with effort by tackling something that I perceived to be a weakness of mine. I could improve it directly. And man, that was that was the first time in a decade I really ventured out of my comfort zone to do something like that. You know, for the longest time, I just held back because I didn't want to look like an idiot if I failed. I was worried about what other people thought about me. 
And at this point, I didn't care. Like, what are they going to say? You're Sean, you're using all these big words in your letters back home. Who do you think you are? Like, I'm facing life in prison, man. I don't care. Yeah, you know, right. I'm gonna just I'm going to do what I want to do in a good mm -hmm. way. And so that gave me the confidence, man. When I got to prison, I found out they had college courses and I enrolled in them. And previously I would have just dismissed it. You know, oh, who am I to take college courses or how is that going to benefit me if I'm doing all this time in prison? Yeah. But I enrolled and I, I loved it. I fell in love with all my courses. I studied psychology, sociology, mm -hmm. business. I, I took almost every course they offered. And uh, man, that gave me purpose in prison. You know, every day, no matter where I was, what was going on in the prison, I had these courses to focus on. And I was a student, you know, I wasn't an inmate. Um, and I just poured myself into that and, and read every book I could get my hands on. I had tons of books sent in. And over the course of those five years, I massively transformed my identity to someone who is a student of life, someone who's smart, someone who's capable. Um, and, you know, to, to take it a step further, that experience gave me the confidence to write a book when I came home. Not to just tell my story, but I believed I could write a good book, you know, yeah. um, that, that impacted people's lives that was well-written. So it was like, that's the theme of my life, man. You asked me how I went from a prisoner to what I'm doing now. And it was knowing who I wanted to be in my heart, right? Having that vision and just being courageous enough to work towards it every day, no matter if it seemed like small, trivial tasks initially, mm -hmm. whatever fears you had overcoming them, whatever challenges you faced, you know, persevere. And it was just that continual process of growth and moving towards something bigger and better. And that time's added up, you know, it's been almost 10 years since my arrest, but I have a completely different life now based on that philosophy and approach. Yeah. There's two things I want to point out to the people listening here is like, number one is you made it, you made choices that, I mean, they say the decisions you make determines the road you're going to take. Right. So you made a choice. You could have said no to the college courses in prison. You could have said, I'm not going to do anything. You could have uh, and, and not worked out, not wrote letters, not tried to better yourself. You made that decision. And the, other, the second thing I want to point out, too, is the, the identity, right? You didn't, you're telling yourself, I'm a student, not an inmate. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. like huge. That's like to be in that situation and you're like, nope, that's not who I am. This is who I am. And you, you stuck with it and sure enough that's what you became you know so that's it's awesome a great great story and then yeah i mean if there's more in prison you want to share but i mean like you're out now and um i'll let you say like what are you, what are you doing with the convicted mindset and, and these speeches and or do you want to touch on the book that you got out yeah so um when i got out i knew i wanted to change people's lives i worked with a lot of guys in there and i saw that that's what fulfilled me. That was my purpose to, to help people. I felt it in my heart. And I knew that the lessons I had gone through and the changes I made could massively impact people's lives out here, just like they did mine. So I started my coaching business when I came home and I've been coaching men all across the country and throughout the world since. It's been four years since I've been home. Last year, I wrote the book, Prison of Your Own. If anyone wants to get it, go ahead and check out prisonofyourown.com. I wrote that book to, to talk about what I see happening a lot in society with people right now, and that's they're trapped inside a mental prison. I found this out when I was physically incarcerated. I realized, wow, man, you've been a prisoner your whole life. You just weren't confined like this, but you have all these limit, limiting beliefs about yourself. You let fear dictate your decision-making. You're self-conscious. You're not taking action the way you want. Like You're a prisoner. You're not living the life you want or you weren't, and you didn't do the things you really want to do. So when I came home, I saw 
probably like 90% of people fall into this category. They want more for themselves. If they could pick a different life that they really want to live, they wouldn't in a second if they knew it would come true. But everyone's scared to take action towards that life because they don't yeah. believe in themselves. They're worried about what other people think. They think more about the negative, the downside, failure, all this stuff. So they get paralyzed and they settle for mediocrity. They find a comfortable job. They find security and they just coast through life. You know what's going to happen to the, those people at the end of their life? What happened to me in that cell? We're going to have that moment where like, oh, my God, I did it wrong. Mm. I'm, I'm dying. And that was the life I just lived. Like the, that was what I gave the world. That was the person I showed people. It's going to absolutely devastate them because they're going to see that they only tapped into like 10% of their potential. And they could have done so much more and had so much more fulfillment and created so much more impact. Those are the people that I'm set on reaching. So that's why I wrote the book because I want to show them how precious this journey is, how quickly it can be taken away. And I want them to understand what's at stake. And I want them to know that they're in control, that if you're not living the life that you want, it's because you're doing it to yourself and you're probably creating a mental prison that's keeping you stuck. So I wrote that book and it's, it's been able to reach a lot of people and have impact. And it's now being um, involved. It's now being distributed in the prison system, which is insane. You know, four years ago, I just got out now over 200,000 guys have access to my book on their tablets. So since I've been, you know, working on myself and having these types of achievements since coming home, I've been able to now, you know, get the attention of people who are in charge of prisons or involved in the correction, um, the correction, you know, the justice system to some extent. And that's how Travis Ritchie and I crossed paths. About a year ago, we're just on a similar journey. He's doing amazing things with his nonprofit accomplished ventures inside the prison system, providing education for uh, financial literacy for inmates. And then he saw my story and the coaching I'm doing related to mindset habits and the, the work that I do. So naturally, naturally, we just started combining forces and talking about how can we really create a life-changing program for individuals who are incarcerated and transitioning back out into society. And that's how we came up with the program Convicted Mindset, which is now in the process of being um, incorporated into the prison system. And our goal is that it's literally like standardized education for inmates instead of worrying about GED, which really doesn't matter. You need to know how to do math. You need to have some common sense and awareness, but mm -hmm. what you really need to focus on is yourself, your beliefs, your identity, your habits, your routines. With that type and level of development, you can go and achieve a lot in your life, right? A lot more than a GED is going to get you because once you believe in yourself and you fix what's going on in here and you let the past go and you heal from it and you move towards a bigger, brighter future, then you're more likely to feel like the education is going to serve you. Then you can pick what you need to learn and then apply that to what you want to do in your life. Right. But in prison, they're like making guys do their GED stuff and all these things that they don't really get, give them hope. They don't give them skills. They don't help them. So um, yeah, we're doing that. We're also putting on events. We have an event uh, for the justice impacted community. So that's individuals who have been to prison or their families and people who have been involved somehow, some way with the, the justice system. We're having an event June 4th in Boise called Convicted Conference in Boise, Idaho. So we're going to have people who are involved with government, people who are involved with Idaho Department of Corrections, and just like Travis and I, people who have been formerly incarcerated who are wanting to change their lives. So it's really special, man. It's come full circle to think that I went through that experience. I was once, you know, inmate number AN1137, and now I've been able to come out and change my life and have an impact. And now I can... Um, change those guys' lives or give them the resources and the guidance that they need to, to do something 
important, special, and something that's fulfilling for them out here. Yeah. I mean, you find a lot of times, I think what it's above 80% of the people who get out of prison, the recidivism rate, they're, they're right back in there. No, at least right now. And you guys are trying it's, to fix it's that. It's really high, man. It's so high. It's crazy. I mean, you have different stats within the first year, something like 60% will get re, re arrested. And I could be wrong with these stats, but um, it, it's, it's really high, you know, um, yeah, 87% of stats are made up on the spot. <laughs> are they? <laughs> I just made that one up. Oh, that's a good one. It's probably accurate. <laughs> but the, the thing is, man, it's like, mm. you know, it's happening. And it's because they don't have resources. People who are incarcerated. They don't really take the time to, to work on identity. They don't take the time to heal from and let go of the past. They don't take the time to think about what they really want in the future. Everyone's looking through a lens of limitations, you know? Yeah, like, like you said, it's not that. just the people who are incarcerated, man. Well, it's everyone. Everyone yeah. thinks about like, what can I do? What's possible? What's realistic? And they're already thinking about it through a compromised mindset. It's like, no, what do you want? What's your heart calling you to do? Yeah. Right? We all have that truth. We have the truth about who we want to be and what we want to achieve in life. And very few are courageous enough to take that journey on because they don't believe in themselves or they don't believe it's possible. And that's what happened to me, man. I got put in a spot where I literally felt like I died and came back to life and I knew my truth. And I was like, I'm never again going to hold back. I'm never again going to not take action because I saw how quickly it could be taken away. And I know that I'm here for a purpose and I have this one shot through life to give my all and to be proud of who I am and what I'm creating. And that's what drives me every day now. Hmm. Now, um, it says you're a family man. You, you're, you're married. You have kids. Yeah. So I'm married and I have three kids. Mason's 11, Scarlett's two and a half and Preston's one and a half. Oh, that's awesome, man. I got two. I have a five-year-old daughter, uh, Nala and, um, one-year-old boy Keaton jr. So yeah, I did wow, great nice. ages. Yeah. We're around yeah. the same. Yeah. Our youngest, he's, uh, yeah, like 15 months, but yeah. Okay. What a yeah. blast. How, how's, um, Wait, does that mean you have kids while you're in prison, man? No. So Mason's my, he's my stepson. Gotcha. He, uh, yeah. So Jessica and I got married, um, what, almost three years ago now. It'll be three years in June. Pretty quickly, you know, awesome. when I got out. Within the first year, um, she was pregnant and, and we were married. But we knew each other growing up. We went to the same elementary school, the same high school. Uh, we didn't, we weren't really close in school. And we were, we connected a little bit after school and spent a lot of time together. And so we had that connection and, you know, I had to go away and work on myself and she was raising a, a young man, a young boy at the time. And when I came back, it was just really good timing and it's been yeah. incredible. All I wanted, man, was a family and kids that I could raise and show them the right way to, to live this life. Honestly. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, how, how do you think that's um, being a dad? Uh, how's that impacted the way you live your life? Oh, I mean, it just gives everything much like that much more meaning and emphasis. I'm, I'm a very driven individual to be my best. But when I look at their faces, it just reminds me of like what's at stake. And every day um, is an opportunity to help them grow and to live this life and just to give them everything they deserve. Um, and when I say give them everything they deserve, I mean, like, you know, um, the, the life lessons, um, you know, the teaching points, um, the direction to live us like a prosperous life, man. Cause I think me growing up, I was put at a disadvantage by the lessons I didn't get or by the example that I saw. Mm -hmm. I want to be the exact opposite. I want to be that person that they look to and like, 
they look at dad as their number one in life. Like dad's always there. Dad's working hard. Dad's uh, practicing what he preaches. Mm -hmm. He gives us time and attention and love. Like I want to be the best dad and husband I ever could be. So, I mean, gosh, I, I can't think of anything else other than almost dying and losing your life to a prison sentence to motivate you every day to, to live that life and to give it your all. That's right. And you know, you're a oh, father yeah. too, man. I mean, there's moments where we're not at our best. Okay. That's just normal. There's moments where maybe we're a little stressed. We didn't sleep well. You know, you got your boys 15 months. Uh, what else? Maybe we react and we're impulsive. And it's like, we don't want to be that way, you know, and especially when you have two little ones looking up to you, it's like, it's unacceptable. So if there's a moment where I act out of character, I just wish I had a little more patience or I responded differently. I'm always reflecting on that and going, okay, yep. how can I be better next time? How can I make sure that next time I, I act the way that I need to in that situation? So it's great because it's just always holding up that mirror of accountability. Mm, yeah. It, when I used to wait tables, I, my daughter was like two years old. Um, and I remember was like, I mean, I would never talk to any customer a certain way. I would never talk to my coworkers a certain way, but like, it, my wife would, uh, you know, throw some stuff at me or like, you know how it is, you, like you're at home, things happen and you get upset, you react out of frustration or out of like, you know, just chaos going on in the household. Um, and I'm like, how am I not okay with talking to like someone who I don't know, customer uh, or my coworkers or like in this tone, I'm just, it's against my, um, I don't know, my morals or whatever. I just will never, ever do it. But then I go home and I'll snap and to the people I love the most. I'm like, that is unacceptable. And, and just being aware of that and catching myself before it happens and taking the three deep breaths or going outside in the other room and things like that. Because, um, yeah, you're right, man. We're, we're not all always the, the people want to act like it's all sunshine and rainbows or I really got my shit together and stuff. But like, in reality, I feel like everyone has those moments. And part of it's we're, we're all comfortable with those people, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, most people do that. They treat the ones closest to them, uh, not the worst, but they're okay with like, you know, snapping or, or acting um, irritable or whatever it is. Right. Uh, and we're, we're not perfect, man, but like we always got to work at it and, and remind ourselves of like how we got to treat people, what example we're setting for them as well. That's it, that's it, man. I think it might've been Travis told me. He's, he's like, he, he puts the phone on, and he has the kids listen to all his phone calls in the car and stuff like that. So you can hear the good, the bad, the investments, the, uh, you know, all the things that's happening in, in real world and stuff. I thought that was so interesting to me. Um, yeah. Because I try and like not take business calls when I'm around my kids and stuff. But maybe it's a good thing to have them, you know, exposed to that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it depends on their age and kind of, you know, there's certain situations where it is good. I mean, my son Mason's 11. So as they get that age, they have a lot of questions and they're being influenced by stuff they see at school or on whatever social media. Or I don't know. You know, they, they, they see stuff on TikTok or like, I try not to let them look at that though. You know, I don't want them to see all this stuff on social media and um, kind of like this fake world that's portrayed through uh, mm -hmm. YouTube and TikTok and stuff, but the kids at school talk about it. So like one way or another, they're going to be exposed to it. So I think it's a good idea to I, like, I always have conversations with him about real world stuff because I want him to know the truth. And I want to create that conversational relationship where we're having imp important discussions. Uh, I think that's, that's key. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so, I mean, 
sorry if this is personal or whatever. I'm just interested. So you're you're out of prison. You're doing the convicted life thing. You're doing life coaching. You're you crushing it. You're making a ton of money now doing this or? Yeah. So when I first came home, I started doing fitness coaching. That was like my my step in the door of personal development in that industry. Um, so yeah. within two months, I got certified as a personal trainer and had a job in a gym working with another uh, coach, another fitness coach. Yep. getting clients. And about six months later, I left that gym and started my own company. So then I started my own company and uh, I was getting a lot of clients in this area and, and starting to get a good reputation. You don't make a lot of money in personal training though. Right. So I knew yeah. that I had to like, my sister does it. So I get it. Yeah. She, she does yeah. all right. Yeah, you, yeah. you mean you do all right. If you're like, you know, by yourself, but I wanted to raise a family and I had a bigger, uh, bigger dreams and a vision. So I started doing online coaching and I was mm -hmm. then doing well. And now I'm like, supplementing my income with online coaching. They're both about 50, 50 at this point when COVID shut everything down. So now I lost all the clients in the gym, all that income, all the progress I had made. Yep. And I just had to make a choice. You know, my choice was again, acknowledging that truth. Like, Hey, you're not a fitness coach, man. You've been through a lot in your life. You can help people on an emotional level on, with their mindset habits, everything. So that's when I just said, no, from this moment forward, I'm a life coach and I created a new program online. I started marketing it through Facebook and Instagram during COVID and it just caught people's attention. I told my story. I talked about the mental prison. A lot of people were stressed out. They didn't know how to deal with what was going on. And I was able to impact a lot of lives. So that was, I don't know, roughly two and a half years ago. And it's, it's scaled, man. I mean, my wife doesn't work. I take care of our family. We're building a home in, in Boise, Idaho, as we speak, we're been able to do whatever we want. Like life is good. So I'm blessed, you know, I'm blessed. Um, Amen. Very fortunate to do what I love and to change lives and to make a good living doing so. That's awesome, man. And I mean, you didn't hop out and, and just go try and get a nine to five or like you didn't say like, oh, I'm a felon. And I'm not going to be able to go and do this. You went and created the life that you wanted to. And like, I just applaud that so much. I mean, so many people, like you said, who haven't even gone through things like that it, are putting themselves in a prison, like you say, I'll use your, your terminology. So that's awesome. Bro. Um, you think you, you believe in the law of attraction? Um, I believe that whatever you focus on and think about, you're going to notice more. Sure. Like, you know what the RAS is, the reticulator activating system. Yeah. So it's, yep. yeah, it's a part of your brain. It works like a filter. So whatever you think about consistently, you're going to recognize more in your environment, whether it's on social media or just at the grocery store. Um, and, and so you'll have those moments where like, you'll cross paths with someone, you'll start talking about stuff. And, and maybe you guys like, you're like, Oh my gosh, I was just thinking about this. And, and you're like doing real estate. I was just telling myself, I needed to find someone to invest in, in real estate. And you're doing that. And you're talking about this opportunity. So some people call that the law of attraction. Um, I call it the law of obsession, right? So whatever you're thinking about consistently tends to materialize in your life, not necessarily because you're drawing it in. But because you're obsessing it over and you're more likely to recognize it because mm -hmm. your brain's filter is now shifted. Right. Um, and then from there, it's upon you to act upon it. So yeah. uh, hopefully that answered your question. I guess you could say no, yes in a roundabout way. Right. Right. Yeah. I think um, it's like a GPS. Yeah. Right? Well, let me let me hear. So look at this. My whole life since I made the decision to just be my best. I, I've literally attracted the things in my life to, to help me to make that next step. So like college courses came to me in prison because someone was walking by my cell and just happened to like, like drop a paper that said college signups. I was locked down at the time. Right. I noticed it. Um, what else? So 
um, you know, getting out, um, I, you know, I wanted to be a fitness coach and I just happened to have a conversation with someone who was looking for another trainer to bring on at that time. Perfect timing. Right. Yeah. Um, I just happened to see my wife at the, at the breakfast spot, sitting down like five chairs for me and she pretended not to see me. So I, I went and talked to her at her work the next day. Like, I just happened to see her. Um, <laughs> Travis and I connected. I literally was telling my wife like a week before I need to get some new mentors. Like I haven't had a good business mentor coach in a while. And literally like the next day, I saw his post on Facebook and DM'd him. And then a week later, we went and met in person and brought our families together. So it's like mm. these things happen and it's no coincidence in my eyes. Like I feel like there's something greater at work here, you know, and you just, these people come into your lives with these opportunities and doors open up and you're like, oh my gosh, I was just thinking about that. Or I was just talking about that. And that's a little different than what I call the law of obsession. You know, if you want to call it the law of attraction your fate, your destiny, or just something greater at work here, but absolutely, I believe in it. Yeah, or God, whatever, like, you, you, in a sense, you're praying for it, whether or not it's like, you know, you said, I want, you're, you're asking for another business mentor, or someone, like a coach that you need, and that's yeah, a prayer, I mean, but just may not be like, dear Heavenly Father, I'm looking for this, so, but um, it's, it's interesting how it's, I see it in my life. I see it in others' lives a lot. And then if you think back to when um, you said there was like a decade of you doing drugs and, and all this stuff, what were you attracting to yourself then? And did you get yeah. it? You yeah. know what I'm saying? You know, exactly. Yeah. I mean, other people doing drugs, uh, getting in trouble, drama, like that's, that's how it goes, man. Your thoughts are powerful. And like, what I found is whatever I tend to focus my energy on and think about and, and, and like really like try to learn about or, read about or whatever it is it starts to materialize within my life whether it's people an opportunity like right now my main goal is not my main goal but one of my goals that i'm really passionate about is speaking you know and because i'm putting that out there into the world and i'm writing posts about it or showing speaking engagements i'm doing i'm getting more and more opportunities and i'm starting to build up um you know that that experience and that reputation so yeah. it's just when we make a decision and we focus on something we obsess over it and we're um, uh, relentless, it starts to materialize within your life over time. Mm, totally, man. Are you, are you religious? No, I wouldn't say religious. I'm definitely a spiritual person. Like I don't, uh, I don't practice any specific religion or affiliate with any religion, but man, like I'm here because of God, God saved my life. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I definitely believe in God and I'm a spiritual person. And that's why, like when you asked me about the law of attraction, like, well, yeah, God's giving me everything. God's paving the path for me. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't really think about it like, oh, it's me attracting it. Like I truly totally. feel like God's blessing me with this journey and everything I have. And it's just up to me to show my gratitude every day through my actions by giving my all. That's what I believe. Um, yeah, totally, man. I, that's, uh, that's why I asked those questions back to back. You know, uh, what, what do you think is your biggest regret that you have in your life? and Why? Uh, not not becoming well i don't regret it anymore because i love my life now but it was not going to not playing sports in high school not going to college and not becoming a professional athlete that killed me because i had a lot of athletic ability and as a kid and that's that like literally was my life all i thought about every day all i wanted to do was be either a professional baseball player or football player and that just destroyed me when i got locked up and i realized Dude, that was like six years ago. What are you thinking about this still for? I was just so delusional at that time. And it devastated me because I saw how 
these doors close, these chapters close. And if you don't take advantage of them and really try, it's the worst feeling in the world. You know, like I can't go back and play college sports. I mean, I could, but right. That ship sailed, right? So I'm very aware of that now. And just now this new season of my life, raising children, I never want to look back with regrets or my marriage or with these opportunities for the men I get to coach and these speaking engagements. Like I'm, I'm all in, man. Yeah. Um, what's one book you believe everyone should read? I mean, I think with books, timing is really everything. Uh, when I was incarcerated, the book that impacted me the most was Think and Grow Rich, just because it, it like spoke to my soul, man. It was like that talking about your desire to be great and, and believing in yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it was perfect timing. You know, I've been about three years into my journey of developing myself and it was just perfect timing. Another book I read recently that was great timing was by Robert Kiyosaki, who's the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Mm -hmm. Uh, Cashflow Quadrants, which if you're somebody who is maybe starting out in entrepreneurship or you're trying to get out of a nine to five and create um, some real wealth for yourself, it's a a great book. It talks about the identity shift, you know, going from a nine to five or even small business owner to more of a savvy investor and someone who can create real wealth for your family and for your family's legacy. So that was another book where it was like the timing was just spot on with where I'm at my career and my journey. Um, but definitely think and grow rich. I mean, that's like an all-time classic. I don't know how you can ever go wrong with, with um, you know, giving that book to, to anyone really. Yeah. Um, if you could go back in time, this is like a signature question. Go back in time. You could go to any age you want to go back to, and you only get to tell uh, yourself three sentences. What age would you go back to, and what are the three sentences? Probably 15, man. Um, 15. I have a really specific memory when I'm 15. You know, at that age, you think you're like a big, tough, strong kid. But the images of me, like not being able to sleep at night and standing in front of my bathroom mirror, just bawling out tears of like pain and misery, you know? Um, So I would tell that 15 year old kid, like, like this is one of my, you call it cliche, my mantras is like, adversity is an asset. This experience is going to help you one day keep fighting and never give up. Mm. Good. Spot on, man. Um, where, where, what's the best way to, um, for the, the listeners to get into contact with you? They want to get you to speak. They want some life coaching. They want to get to know you better. They put get you on your podcast or whatever. Um, what, what's the best way to get, get in touch with you? Yeah, the easiest way is either on Instagram, uh, Shaw Michael Crane, or mm-hmm. Facebook, same handle. And then my website, shawmichaelcrane.org. Uh, they can reach out to me there if they want to talk to me about anything. Cool, man. Um, who should reach out to you for, for life coaching and, and stuff like that? Like, is there a certain like demographic or people or income level that like only, you know, some people have some really high end coaching programs. Some people have stuff that's really meant for everyone. Um, but yeah, who's the right person to reach out to you? Yeah. So, you know, my, my typical client is uh, men who are fathers who are either business owners, entrepreneurs, guys that, that want to function at a high level and they've done good things in their lives, but somewhere along the way, they kind of stop prioritizing themselves. So a lot of these guys are lower on confidence than you would expect. Um, even though they're making money from the outside, looking in their lives, good. Right. You know, maybe they're not, the routines aren't consistent. They're, they're not taking care of their body. Therefore that, you know, they're having self-esteem issues and that, 
that carries over in everything we do, relationships at work, at home, productivity at work, uh, time management with family work-life balance. So if you're a guy between, let's say, the age of 30, 28, and 45, and you know you're capable of more, you know you're just not consistent, you're not proud of the way you're living your life, but you want to be, uh, reach out to me, man. I have a whole curriculum and system that helped me go from drug addict, hopeless uh, young man to fully in control of my life, developing self-mastery from a jail cell. So I walk my guys through those same exact steps and teach those lessons to help them to feel unstoppable in their life as well. Mm, that's good, man. Um, what's, uh, is there any way that like the listeners could support you? Like, they can definitely reach out to you if they need your help and everything. But is there anything that like, let's say you never know who's listening to these things. There's someone out there that could really, really help you. What's something that would be your ask? You give a lot. What would you ask for? Yeah. I mean, gosh, the main thing is like, if, if you're uh, an event coordinator or someone hosting events and you want someone to speak about uh, their journey, like a compelling story, but also really some impactful teaching points and lessons um, I, I would love to come speak, you know, I want to be on as many stages as I can each and every year going forward, because I feel like I have a message that can change lives and I want to reach people. I love speaking. I feel like that's my element and, uh, I'm, I'm just searching out those opportunities right now. Awesome, man. Um, dude, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I like really, really appreciate you taking like an hour out of your day to come here and uh, tell us your story. You got real personal on here and like, and give some real actionable steps for people to take. Um, and that could really change their lives if they really do take the action. Right. Um, and I, I want to tell the listeners, I say this every episode, this is free. I don't want to sell you anything. I just want to introduce you to people like uh, Mr. Sean Michael Crane here uh, who could who have the tools and knowledge to change your life and impact your life. And um, I mean, hopefully inspire you to say like, there's, if he could do it, he was in prison for five and a half years. If I could do it, I was waiting tables and it was a college dropout. You could go and live your dreams. It's, it's totally possible. Um, if, if this episode wasn't for you, maybe it's going to be for someone else, you know, your family member or friend, please share it out. Um, leave a review so we can get more people like Sean, uh, on the show to give you more insight and knowledge. And yeah, Sean, I just, thank you again, dude. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you, Keaton. Um, yeah. thank you for having me. Totally. All right. Peace guys.